Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today on the show, we have a really great man by the name of Daniel Gannon on the show. Daniel is one of South Australia's leading and most influential industry executives, an expert and strategic leader in membership-based organisations. Over the past seven years, Daniel has spearheaded successful and historic campaigns to abolish commercial stamp duty, reform land tax, and defeat punitive taxes on CBD car parks and banks. Advocacy outcomes like these have increased South Australia's investment attractiveness, particularly in the state's property and real estate sectors. In 2020, Daniel was named one of South Australia's top 50 most influential people and top 10 real estate heavyweights. While in 2018, he was named one of South Australia's top 40 leaders under 40 and one of the state's top 50 power brokers. Often accredited as one of the most strategic operators in South Australia, the 2020 list of Daniel says he is a forceful yet smooth operator. Throughout his career, Daniel has worked across local, state and federal government policy spheres and had embedded himself in membership-based organisations. He has also driven significant change in the property and investment industry as the South Australian Executive Director of the Property Council of Australia, now arguably the state's most powerful association. In this episode, Daniel shares his journey from growing up and living in a caravan with his family to how he dreamed of being an architect, to working in the family business in retirement villages, to taking on his former bosses Stephen Marshall and Rob Lucas in the battle to squash the land tax charges. Daniel was fierce in promoting South Australia and trying to attract people and business from all over the world to our great state. He shares his thoughts on what the workplace would look like moving forward and the types of impacts that people working from home will have on all industries. Daniel also speaks about the impacts of the pandemic in the market, from the landlord to the shop front, as well as providing us some statistics about how we're faring post-pandemic. If you love the episode, which I'm sure you will, be sure to hit subscribe button and check us out at synergyiq.com.au and synergyiq on all the social media outlets. Cheers. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host, and today we have Daniel Gannon on the show. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Executive Director of the Property Council. Yeah, look, the Property Council, just for a bit of background for some of your listeners, um, we are a membership-based organisation, a not-for-profit company that uh, represents landlords, basically. So we we represent people who have skin in the game with commercial property, residential, industrial, and retirement living and retail. Now, that's a lot of things. Uh, In really simple terms, we are different things to different people on different days, but we are property-focused. Beautiful. Now, let's talk... Before we get into the full uh, property council remit and everything that you guys do and are doing for the people of South Australia and Australia, I want to just rattle off a few statistics here, a few little, uh, not statistics, a few little accolades of, of, of Mr. <laughs> Daniel Gannon. Where are we going? <laughs> so in 2018, was named um, one of the South Australia's most uh, top 100 influential people. 
one of SA's top 40 leaders under 40, one of South Australia's top 50 power brokers, and then recently one of the top 50 most influential people. It's a bit of a head wobble going on over there. <laughs> no, look, these, these lists, um, they are quite humbling. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they're a little bit embarrassing at times yeah. as well. Um, but to be honest, um, my game at the Property Council is about currency. Yeah. Uh, it's about connectivity. It's about relationships. Uh, so what we do uh, on, on any given day is we, our job is to convince politicians and decision makers at local, state and federal government levels um, to be really careful uh, with legislation or policy making that has an impact on the property industry here in South Australia. So just to give you a bit of an economic context, um, uh, property is South Australia's biggest private sector employer. It employs about one in five people in this state. It supplies a salary to one in six people here. Uh, it contributes almost 12% of GSP. So what that means for us is that uh, when we do sit down with politicians, when we do sit down with decision makers uh, to, to provide uh, some very careful advice to them, we do so on behalf of the state's economy because the property industry plays a really important role within that economy. And, and, if, and if my job uh, on occasion uh, means um, carrying a level of influence to be able to do that, um, then, then that's okay with me. But it is a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> we, it, you kind of need to have that influence. You, 25%, if you're representing 25% of the people in the in the working jobs, I mean, you'd want to have a little bit of influence in your role. Yeah, and look, if you didn't, then you'd be doing your job poorly, uh, and yeah. you wouldn't be getting outcomes and results, particularly on behalf of our members. Uh, our, our members in Adelaide are very different to property owners in places like Sydney and Melbourne because um, the type of landlords here are private investors. They've got private skin in the game, and we've got a different market to play within. Whereas if you look in places like Sydney and Melbourne. Um, the big property owners over there are institutional property owners, they're syndicates, they're superannuation funds. So the difference between our market and theirs um, is, is that private skin in the game. And when you've got that sort of skin in the game, it changes the way that you think and changes the way that you do business. Mm. And as a direct result, that changes the way that we advocate to government yeah. um, because we are, representing, uh, we are representing privates. Yes. Brilliant. All right. Let's talk about Daniel, the human being. Sure. Tell us a little about your background. How did you get to where you are today? I, I do know a little bit about your background and you moved around a lot as a kid. Mm. Is that how you ended up in the property council? Always being interested in uh, in property itself? <laughs> uh, look, we um, yeah, I've, I've got quite a unique, um, slightly unusual background. Um, I was born in a place called West Wylong, which is in the middle of nowhere in New South Wales. Um, uh, a lot of people might have travelled through West Wylong uh, on the way to Sydney, but um, We'd, we were living in a caravan for my first four years. So my father and his father, carpenters, you know, we come from a strong family lineage of carpenters and farmers, but uh, dad and his brother, in, in addition to his parents, um, they were just following the form construction work up and down the eastern seaboard. Uh, on the way, um, you know, my brother was born in Wollongong. I was born in West Wylong. The first of my three sisters was born in a place called Biloela in Queensland. So we'd shifted 12 or 13 times before I started kindergarten back in Adelaide. Yeah, wow. Um, we'd, we'd lived in five states and territories uh, in that time. Um, we, were, we were carnies <laughs> following the work. Um, so property's been in my blood since I was born. You know, I was born in a caravan on the road. Um, I think Dad might have been building a set of 
uh, apartments or units in somewhere in regional New South yep. Wales at the time. Um, and then we moved back to South Australia uh, in it must have been about 1986-ish um, because my my grandfather had tended for a for a decommissioned school. It was the Vermont Girls High School. Uh, that school had been decommissioned and Pop had this great idea to turn it into a retirement village. Um, they were successful with that tender and then, you know, we shifted back from Queensland to SA um, and that's when the fa- family business started, you know, building, developing, owning and managing retirement villages. So I've grown up in quite a unique part of the industry and then I spent my um, professional youth um, working in, in parliament for politicians. So it was quite a misspent youth, um, <laughs> wandering the hallways of parliament. <laughs> I learned a lot during those times. Yeah. So I had my family upbringing on construction sites, uh, went to uni for a few years to study um, my Bachelor of Arts, did my honours and then eventually did Masters in Communication. But I'd actually always wanted to be an architect ever since I was about five. Uh, my brother was um, meant to become a carpenter and you know, Michael and I were meant to seamlessly transition into the family business. Um, it didn't work out that way. <laughs> uh, I, I eventually realised when I was about 16 that I didn't want to become an architect anymore. Mm. Um, went to uni, um, found my way through a Bachelor of Arts, uh, studied politics and history uh, and then just became immersed in the world of politics. Picked up a traineeship with uh, with a guy called Rob Lucas, um, who's, yep. who's now treasurer yep. again. Yep. Um, and I learned a lot from Rob in those early years. Um, and then went on to work for Isabel Redmond in a media advisor capacity and then for uh, someone called Stephen Marshall yep. uh, performing a similar role. Uh, and I've been the property council for the last seven years. Um, and... The way that that's all tied together I think is quite simple. Family background in property and construction, um, early professional experience with um, politics, media and public relations uh, and now the Property Council. That sort of brings all of those things together. Um, My role on any given day is about um, relationships, relationships with politicians, relationships with journalists, relationships with influencers and decision makers and naturally relationships with landlords and developers here in South Australia. So um, that's the really short story, um, but it did start in a quite unusual uh, way, you know, living in a caravan for my first four years of life. Uh, we used to have uh, a bath in the um, sink in the caravan that was it was like a pump handle tap and yeah, wow. <laughs> pump the water in from yeah, time to time. Yeah. Um, the old Jayco pop-top caravan that's still <laughs> sitting up at mum and dad's in one of the sheds. Um, and every time I see that caravan now, I think, oh, you know, we've got three kids ourselves and mum and dad had three kids in the caravan before they had two more back in Adelaide. Having three kids myself, um, I look at that caravan and think, how on earth did yeah. they do it? No, it doesn't make, even just having gone through that lockdown and having the kids That, that was a week. <laughs> that was a week. I know. It was That's, hard. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was really hard. And when I look at that caravan, I've got no idea how they did it. No. From a privacy point of view, but, but not, <laughs> that, that, not only that, but you, you need your downtime, right? That's where well, I was going with that. And your course, mind went in the wrong direction. Mum and dad had three kids <laughs> living in that caravan. Uh, you're lucky the other two waited to Adelaide. Um, <laughs> can can I ask what what is it about government policies that get you out of the bed in the morning? Like it doesn't seem to me being uh, you know, and you are very strong in your communications side. So what is it? What draws you to this world? So, 
as I said before, I, I, I was raised in a family that, that had a lot of skin in the game and, and still does. Um, and, and when you have skin in the game, particularly at a time when interest rates are hitting 20%, mm. even, even as a young kid, I've, I've got a couple of memories of family uh, meetings over the dinner table at, at least on two occasions when I was probably about 10 and then again when I was about 15 or 16, um, due to economic circumstances and financial circumstances, um, risk, uh, on two occasions we almost had to move into two of our retirement villages. So, you know, Dad said to the family, you know, due to circumstances we might have to move from Oak Bank in Adelaide Hills um, to I think it was... I think it was Aubrey Wodonga. Um, we were building a village over there a long time ago. Um, so I look back at experiences like that and and I've always carried this great appreciation for risk takers mm. that have those levels of skin in the game um, because um, that's really hard and stressful. Um, at times it can also be incredibly rewarding. So my membership here in terms of what I do um, I, I'm meeting with people like that on a daily basis. They're building and owning and developing big commercial sites in Adelaide that carry incredible risk, particularly during times of um, pandemic and yeah. hardship and uh, great flux and uncertainty. Um, so I've got um, great lasting respect for people who take that level of risk. At the same time, they're also doing an amazing thing for the economy. Mm. You know, they're creating jobs. They're stimulating the local market, they're literally changing the skyline on a daily basis. Um, I find that really exciting, really interesting. Um, and the role that we play at the Property Council is to ensure that um, regulatory and policy settings aren't damaging, mm. you know, that, that policies aren't getting in the way of that development actually bringing Adelaide forward, you know, making Adelaide incredibly exciting. I think that our city's come a really long way in the last probably the last seven to eight years, to be honest. Um, I mean, I think, if, I think if you haven't been to Adelaide for a long time and you were to come here uh, whenever borders open or whenever, whenever you're allowed to, I think if you came here and looked at this city in terms of its skyline, you'll be incredibly impressed. Mm. Um, this CBD has been dominated by cranes and hard hats and steel caps for a long time. Um, Adelaide's changed a lot and... And they're the types of people that we represent here at the Property Council. So for me, when I get up in the morning, uh, I know that I'm representing people like that who are taking that level of risk, who are helping change the skyline, um, and and I take that that role really seriously. Um, part of the job, of course, is to help execute that that message, mm. you know, to communicate that in a in a you know proper and effective manner. Um, and I think we do that really well here at the Property Council, and that we have done that historically, even well before my time. Just a bit of a random question while you're talking about the skyline. There, there are caps to our skyline. Is that the, <laughs> you know, from that alone, is that a, when people do look into South Australia mm. and especially investors from all over the world who, mm. want to, uh, who, who do want to build high-rise buildings, is that something that is going to hold us back? Yeah, look, the flight path is a consideration for sure. Um, uh, I mean, Adelaide has literally and figuratively been growing up a lot in the past 10 years mm. rather than necessarily growing out. Mm. Um, you know, we've, we've been having that policy debate and discussion for a long time now about urban sprawl mm -hmm. versus a densification starting in the CBD and working outwards. Um, naturally, we'd love to see um, 
you know, flight path considerations relaxed a bit so that we can genuinely have some skyscrapers here yeah. in Adelaide. We have seen some really unique proposals in recent times. Uh, the the Masonic Hall on North Terrace, there's a really exciting proposal there uh, to develop what would be Adelaide's first skyscraper. Now, the further east that you head in the CBD, um, theoretically the taller your building can be because yeah. the planes are at a higher point. Okay. The further west you go in the CBD, the lower your buildings can be because the planes are getting lower okay. as they come down to the airport. That'll be interesting looking from a bird's eye view in yeah. in future. <clears throat> but it, I mean, if, like over the past 12 months, even 18 to 24 months actually, um, uh, there have been a lot of great buildings that are uh, have either been approved or that are now under construction, whether they're residential, hotels or mm. even commercial. Yeah, we've seen them going up. It's amazing stuff, but it's, it, it's exciting stuff. I think f- for me there's, um, and excuse the ignorance in this, there's a lot of room up there for planes to fly. Like why can't, we can't move our city. Surely they can just find a different path. Is that not, is it not as simple as that? Well, it's also a demand uh, yeah, equation yeah. as well. So um, what we do here at the Property Council, and we have done for a long time, is there's three main policy drivers that we're always focused yeah. on. Our core business is, Property taxes and yep. taxation yep. More, more generally, um, population growth and demand, uh, and then red tape, yeah. and typically red tape that gets in the way of development and construction. But on that second one, growth mm. and demand, that's our great opportunity now. Mm. So it's always been a drag on us for the last 30 years. We've seen this genteel decline of our population growth rate. We've seen this mass exodus of our you know, best and brightest kids who you know leave Adelaide after school or uni in search of opportunities a lot of our friends and mates from school collectively I'm sure you would have seen your mates leave Adelaide um, since you left school Uh, I know I have Um, so for us I think there's an incredible opportunity out of COVID and I don't really like talking about the COVID thing a lot but what I love to focus on with the post-pandemic period whenever that might be because I presume that we're still mid-pandemic is um is Adelaide's proposition, Adelaide's value proposition now. So I think that Adelaide makes perfect sense in a post-pandemic world. Mm. I think I think that on the back of Adelaide, the value proposition that is Adelaide making more sense now than it ever has is centred around growth and centred around population growth. It's centred around retaining more of our young kids instead of them fleeing to um, you know cities that are far more dense mm-hmm. than Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Um, if there are concerns in a post-pandemic environment of super dense cities, then I think Adelaide's a direct beneficiary and that will only lead to more people and therefore more productivity in Adelaide. Of course, what we need is, um, you know, that jobs question. We need more jobs coming out of, uh, coming out of Adelaide to complement those kids staying yeah, here and coming absolutely. back. There's a few questions out of that. With the pandemic, I'm going to, now I'm going to rattle off a couple of statistics. And has there been a silver lining from the pandemic in regards to property? When you look at, you know, this was taken from the Property Council website, houses in the house, single source of truth. The, the single, Council well, that's website. it, 100%. Where else would I go, <laughs> right? Um, so houses, house pricing in South Australia has improved by 136% in the last quarter, 550% over the past 12 months. My, and, and we talk about people coming here and y- using that price guide alone. Mm. I live down at Henley, good good little spot there. Yeah. I'm not going to argue mm. or complain You're at all. You're a good beach boy, aren't you? I am. I'm the same Michael's boy. I <laughs> uh, grew up down at Henley and I've lived there my whole life. And so. I'm an old Ross Trevor boy. So uh, yeah. given you're a mixed boy, you and I can't well, really be in the same room. No, I don't know. Why we shouldn't be. We should cancel this conversation <laughs> now. Um, <laughs> but um, it, it really, 
for me, there was a there was a house on 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 the street just sold for record price, mm. uh, and the Sydney family moving over. Um, both work in the corporate world, and um, they're moving to South Australia because a they're 300 meters from the beach mm. and it's a beautiful spot mm. uh, and they can work from home and get paid Sydney wages and live here and enjoy the benefits of it all. So, mm. uh, you know, th- there's no real need for them to walk in. So that in itself mm. is a, is painting a, a pretty pretty good picture. Going on, you talk about staffing levels have increased by 37%, 300% since March last year. The state economic ex- expectations have jumped by 140% in the last 12 months. So there's some good stuff mm. coming out out of this mm. pandemic. Is is it wrong to look at it as silver lining? So I think if we look back to um, those really scary uncertain times of p- particularly March through to May and June last year, there were forecasts and predictions of double-digit unemployment. Mm. There were um, forecasts and predictions of share market um crashes um you know of a housing market that would be under incredible duress um there were there were all sorts of scary predictions and forecasts that that shook uh, economists and the industry to its core Mm. if we stand here today and look back on last year um there's a lot that adelaide has to be grateful for you know we've got developments just down the road here like 60 king william street with charter hall we've got icd property uh, developing the central markets. Uh, we've got Seabus um, down Piri Street there developing uh, one of your old stomping grounds, I'm sure, the old Planet Nightclub. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's incredible demand and investor interest in Adelaide. Mm. Uh, we've got a house, still to this day, we've got a median house price that starts with a five instead of ending in million, yeah. like you see in parts of Melbourne and yeah. Sydney. Um, we have so many competitive advantages in a national context here in Adelaide. So I'm not surprised that you've got Sydney families or Melbourne families or even London families looking at a city like Adelaide. Mm. In recent times, the Economist Livability Index rated Adelaide not just the world's third most livable city but Australia's most livable city. Roy Morgan in recent times, um, you know, gave uh, South Australia top marks. I I think the direct quote was, you know, South Australia's COVID management was top of the class. You've had the Victorian government in recent times release a state budget that, um, you know, jacked up land tax and stamp duty uh, taxes in Victoria. And just as one example there, if you were to purchase a $5 million commercial property in Victoria, you'll be now paying 308% more, 308% more in Victoria than you would on the same property in Adelaide. So, uh, and the short point is this, um, uh, we have an incredible argument and an incredible pitch to both investors and residents to move to South Australia. Mm-hmm. It's it's as simple as that. And like the Adelaide proposition has never made more sense than it does now uh, in the middle of a global pandemic, mm. let alone in a post-pandemic uh, environment. And, you know, for companies like ICD Property and Charter Hall and CBUS to be flocking to Adelaide during a pandemic, to be, you know, literally... Um, you know, raising the level of our skyline, despite all the um, global economic uncertainty, that says incredible things about yeah. our great city. And it, it does, and it's exciting. You see in the Googles of the world and all these new tech companies, Accenture, 
put mm. out there. The problem is with some of the bigger companies. So this is a, this is a concern that the smaller businesses, and I run my own consulting, you know, management consulting firm that was always up against the big four and the like, and. Yeah, and You'll be I, running a big business well, in five years' uh, well, time. They, you know, from our growth perspective, it is we are doing quite well. Uh, but getting the right people is the other thing. So when you have these companies, and I, I do know a lot of local, um, very successful IT companies who when, they, when these big companies such as uh, the Accentures of the World and, and those really well-known well known, um, mm. uh, consulting companies come in here and say they're going to employ a thousand people where are they going to get those a thousand people from they're stealing them from the smaller businesses so there's this two-pronged effect here in mm. in, in the sense of come it's great we, we want to get businesses we want to get jobs but where are we going to get these people from mm. because it, it feels like there's a situation of robbing peter to pay paul at the moment in some of the industries i think that south australia has historically punched above our weight um we've we've long done that um uh, we, we've got some incredible and iconic SMEs here in Adelaide, whether you're in professional services or even in retail and food. I mean, looking at the Chapleys or the Drakes mm. uh, or, the, or the Romeos as an example in the supermarket uh, world, you know, they are genuine um, world-leading companies mm. here in Adelaide that started as SMEs um, and that are much better than some of the bigger companies. Companies like yours, uh, no doubt, are on this incredible growth trajectory over the next five to ten years. Um, and and I think what what being a South Australian and being a South Australian business owner or South Australian investor uh, teaches us teaches you is that you've got to be better. Mm. Your value proposition's got to be greater, uh, and as a direct result, you'll always provide a greater business um, service to um, clients than many other big companies would. I guess when it comes to um, bigger professional services companies hiring 200, 400, 600 people um they're probably not coming from adelaide so the great economic opportunity for us is keeping them here mm. uh, instead of them you know flocking back to places like sydney and melbourne uh, once they've ticked a two-year box we don't want to see that because yeah. that's not that's not genuine growth that's that's short-term no. um you know box ticking yeah. growth uh that's not sustainable that's not long lasting we'd love to see those hundreds of people that do come here to get that early experience with a professional services firm, to then shift to companies like yours and others, but equally to buy a house yeah, here in Adelaide, correct. to have kids, add to, to the send them to economic schools, growth. add to the economic growth, pay your taxes here. And of course, you know, you'd be paying lower taxes here than a place like Victoria. <laughs> 308%. 308%. <laughs> but, but do it here, stay yeah. here, you know, get to know Adelaide. Adelaide can be a clicky place. It is relationships uh, driven, but... Um, South Australia makes a lot of sense in a post-pandemic world and uh, long may that continue. Yeah, look, I'm a SA boy through and through and I, I couldn't agree more. It is it is a good place. It is a different place to do business though. You, mm. you feel like if you go to a Sydney, mm. you could walk into a room and, and sell something on the spot, <laughs> whereas you, you come to Adelaide and it is very much relationship-based and building those. Mm. But, you know, but we, we'll grow and the bigger and bigger we get, the mm. more and more uh, opportunities will arise, right? Mm. So mm. Um, I'm, I'm interested in the pe- – let's talk about the pandemic and we've just come out of the lockdown. Mm. Uh, the seven-day lockdown. We're day two now, aren't we? We're day two out, out of lockdown, lockdown yeah. which is, um, you know, the sense of freedom is is amazing mm. at the moment, having the kids go back to school first and Most foremost. Most importantly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, and where this sort of question came from is uh, there's a there's a, a campaign going on at the moment and, you know, don't don't bring your 
don't bring your lunch to work and support local businesses yep. and help them get mm. back. And it's it's amazing. And and that's exactly what I did yesterday. Although I I support local businesses for lunch every single day, <laughs> 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 uh, much to my wife's uh, discontent. But the I went into a local uh, little tire shop and and you know bought the old bar me roll and mm. and was speaking to the locals uh, and they were um, they're really struggling. They're really struggling, and they were. They were saying that um, the, the biggest problem for them is that the the land they still need to pay rent, right? So they're and and they not only were we locked down for seven days where they're not working and they they're kind of relying on that income, they're relying to pay their rent for the uh, for their shop. They're not only their rent for their home and and everything else on top of that, actually trying to put food on the table. Then on top of that, once we are back, all the big businesses aren't sending their their people back. They're still working home from you know the next week, two weeks, yeah. three weeks until yeah. confidence rises and people yeah. want to send back. So the ongoing effect of the seven days isn't just a seven day problem. It's a my question to you is what conversations are, is the property council having with the landlords yeah. and and how do we look after these small businesses? Because we talk about incentives of coming into South Australia, there doesn't seem to be an incentive of starting a business within the CBD right now in this pandemic world. Yeah, look, and COVID has had a disproportionately large impact on cities around the world because. Um, global cities are typically more dense. There's more people, there's more buses, there's more cars, uh, and therefore there's there's a greater perceived or real risk in catching and transmitting COVID. <clears throat> um, the proposition with landlords and tenants has been really hard. Mm. So last year, I mean, if we go back to May last year when the Prime Minister came out and proposed a uh, proposed a national code of conduct for commercial leases. Um, that was a really tricky. Um, that was a really tricky time for both landlords and tenants because it pitted a landlord against a tenant, and and that happened across the country. What we saw in Adelaide in March, though, when the world started to change, was the bulk of commercial landlords here in Adelaide uh, being well in front of governments, They're being well in front of governments because they were already talking to the tenants uh, about possible and proposed impacts on revenue. Uh, and the bulk of uh, landlords, by the time the Code of Conduct came into force, by probably June, the bulk of landlords had already done deals with tenants because everybody recognised and realised that it would be much better to have a tenant at the back end of this thing uh, as opposed yep. to having no tenant at all. Yep. Uh, a lot of tenants um, started to innovate, which I thought was amazing. You know, You had companies like the Stag Hotel um, that obviously couldn't open and operate for Mm -hmm. quite a chunk of uh, early last year, uh, those guys started a, a um, basically a bottle shop delivery company mm. to deliver wine and beer to your house. So um, I think it's really easy to focus on some of the negatives last year. But on the flip side, there was incredible business innovation with a lot of Without SMEs doubt. around Adelaide because they had to. Now, the commercial code of conduct was in place until, from memory, the first week of January. Mm. So let's say from June to January. Um, and banks decided to, because uh, of course, don't forget, banks play a really important role in, in, in this environment too. Banks were deferring some repayments and some interest. Um, they weren't writing them off. They were deferring them. Landlords, on the other hand, were actually putting a line through a lot of their rental revenue. So landlords, um, landlords copped a pretty big hit last year, but they did so knowing that it was for the greater good because mm. they wanted to retain tenants at the back end. 
Um, I take your point on board about this week. It's hard. You had restaurants and cafes that had to dispose of food um, and all sorts of other perishable items, uh, and and that goes straight to the bottom line. Yeah, like that hurts them in a really big way. As does confidence and you know occupancy trickling back up to where it was uh, pre-lockdown. If we just have a look at occupancy for a minute, the Property Council since July last year has been tracking occupancy of commercial office buildings across the entire country uh, from July through to you know today. Adelaide dipped to a low of 55% occupancy in commercial office buildings in August last year. We're currently pre-lockdown, I should say, we're currently at about 80%. Yeah, well. 80% of pre-pandemic levels. Now, that last 20% is probably going to be a bit sticky. It's yeah. going to be a little tricky to get that uh, 20% back. 80-20 rule will be right. <laughs> <laughs> but the pre-lockdown, um, that was at a pretty good level. Yeah. Um, footfall had certainly strengthened. Uh, obviously, you know, you can walk the streets and you see you see four-lease signs in a few buildings. Yeah. Um, that has been really disheartening. Um, so there's no doubt that it's had an incredible impact on a lot of SMEs. But landlords have copped it hard too. And then, you know, I mean, I'm not sitting here with a violin at this point during this part of the conversation yeah. because very few people would have um, sympathy for landlords. I think that's a wrong perception. But the reality is they've copped it too. It's been hard for everyone. Um, and, and I think that everybody, you know, as we continue to navigate our way through the pandemic, God knows when it's going to end, um, everybody's just got to be conscious of everyone's um, financial risk and financial situations. But occupancy was lifting pre-lockdown. Vacancy rates, uh, everybody expected commercial office vacancy rates to um, go through the roof mm-hmm. because there was that early you know, gut feel by a lot of forecasters, probably the same forecasters who said that unemployment would go to double digits. Yeah, um, They said that um, uh, commercial offices would, would, would reduce in size because everyone's going to work from home forever. Well, we don't accept that at all. Um, flexibility uh, in the workplace was here before the pandemic mm. and it will certainly still be here post-pandemic. But vacancy rates in the Adelaide CBD have decreased. They've decreased uh, over the past 12 months, which I think is uh, an incredible um, result. It's, it's a sign of the resilience of the Adelaide office market. Now, it's still at about 15%. Yeah. There's still about 200,000 square metres of empty space in yeah. Adelaide CBD, um, but it's not going up. It's come down. So it's on the mend. Are we going to see trends? Because there would be already contracts in place five years, ten years, you know. Are we going to see that come down in three, four, five years' time? Is that when we're going to see? Fair question. Yeah. yeah. And my lease, for example, is five years. Yeah. Um, most, most companies would have a five-year lease. Um, so there's no doubt that. We're only 15 to 18 months into a five-year cycle, mm. let's call it. So we're probably not going to see the full impact for another three years in that commercial office space. Mm. There's no doubt about it. But what we hear in the market already, uh, and we heard it from mid last year, was that architects are now redesigning um, workspaces that are bigger, mm. not necessarily small. They're bigger so that companies can actually insulate themselves against future proximity and yeah, health-based pandemics. So, you know, we've got companies that are now putting two metres in between every workstation yeah. um, based on um, Nicholas Berea and SA Health guidelines about 1.5 metres physical distancing. So we think there'll be more of that. So I, I, I don't think it's uh, as easy as saying that every workspace is going to reduce in size and every commercial landlord is going to suffer and the commercial uh, property investment market won't be a good investment in five years' time. I don't think that's the case mm. because... 
The work from home trend uh, was here before COVID. It'll be here after COVID. The question is um, uh, how great an influence will it actually have on, you know, big companies and some of those, you know, big global companies that have made global decisions out of places like New York and Beijing and London. Um, the question is, when do those companies change their decision-making and allow some of their regional offices in places like Adelaide, when do they allow their people to come back to the office? Mm. Because we think that South Australia's handling of COVID has been um, textbook. We think that our comparative advantages around resilience and health and safety are second to none. Um, now, the recent lockdown was a bit of a blip. Um, yeah, no doubt. We'll bounce back. The... The, the the question of the lockdown is a different political issue. It's about what's more important is you know safety or economics and all this sort of stuff. So that's mm. a that's a whole world that we could dive into and talk for hours. That's mm. not really what we're trying to gain out of this conversation, though. <laughs> the the interesting thing really is about the effect that it, the ongoing effect of the city. What are we doing to promote? growth back into the city to promote yeah. businesses i know back in the uh back in the, uh, I, I, i'm not 100 sure if it's still running the renew sa stuff where it was uh, getting renew adelaide renew adelaide yeah. sorry where we were getting um we're offering potential office spaces uh, for, for free for, yeah. for 30 day leases. Yeah. yeah and um is that sort of some of the promotions that uh, the property council are looking at how do we get people back into the city really supporting it making it vibrant in mm. a world that is unknown mm. right now or are we just going to wait and sit it out? Well, we can't afford to just wait and yeah. sit it out, can we? Yeah. Um, I was on the board of Renew Adelaide for five years. Um, that's a great organisation here in Adelaide. Yeah. It's, Is that it's, Steve Morris? Steve was chair, of, chair the, yeah. the, of, of, of Renew Adelaide for a long time. Nick Bagarkas uh, has I'm been sure, chair yeah. for the past five and a half years. Yeah. Um, the beauty about that company is that it brings together um, entrepreneurs mm. And landlords. Yeah. Now they are two constituencies uh, that would rarely cross paths. Mm. Um, but we've got a lot of progressive landlords in Adelaide that are willing to put their spaces on the line at no cost to help these entrepreneurs get out of the ground. Yeah. Is that mainly for retail, or is it anyone? No. no it's any? hospitality, yeah. retail, the arts. Yeah. Um, uh, Oliver Brown, who runs the Stag and Nola and uh, Anchovy Banda on Prospect Road. He was a really early Renew Adelaide tenant, um, and, and at the time, at the time that a lot of these creatives commercialise their business, that's when they start paying rent. Mm. So it gets them out of the ground in a lot of these empty spaces in unique parts of the city, breathes life back into um, you know arcades and malls. The Renew Adelaide model works really well when you can cluster a lot of tenants together. Yeah, um, a lot of those landlords are foregoing rent, of course, yeah. but. But, but they're also taking a punt that a lot of these creatives will become successful commercial operations uh, in, a, in a relatively short period of time. When it comes to um, initiatives and incentives to get people back into the CBD, the Property Council came up with this proposition uh, probably back in April or May uh, and we put a proposition to Stephen Marshall and Rob Lucas and said, look, you know, when we have a look at footfall across the Adelaide CBD, um, Mondays and Fridays were, were being disproportionately hit. Um, a lot of workers were taking um, long weekends might be an unfair way to characterise yeah. it, yeah. but they were typically working from home mm -hmm. on Mondays and Fridays. Correct. And they were coming to the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, a, lot of uh, a lot of hospitality providers, a lot of restaurateurs 
uh, derive the bulk of their revenue on Fridays, mm. the Friday lunch trade. Um, so we said to the government, why don't we come up with this idea? Let's call it FOMO Fridays, mm. fear of missing out on Fridays. Let's come up with a fun, cool, exciting initiative that's a, that's a bit of a three-way partnership between city council, state government, and uh, the private sector. So everybody plays their part. So landlords might chuck 200 bucks uh, uh, across the counter in the cafe and the foyer of the building every Friday for four weeks. Um, the local uh, restaurant might have lunch specials. City council might decide to put on a concert in, a, in the park. Yep. We might do some yoga sessions yep. first thing in the morning. Uh, the state government, uh, Stephen Marshall turned around and said, I love that idea. It's great because like, at least we're having a crack. Yep. And the state government uh, put $800,000 forward for FOMO Fridays uh, that would basically take over September. So hopefully the world is looking a bit, a bit better. better. Yeah, I saw you guys launch that. It was a good, yeah, great. Great initiative, great partnership with the state government. Um, we can't just sit back. We can't roll over and accept that. That, that things have to be this way because there's a lot of business owners in the CBD that are struggling. Yeah, they are. We've got to do everything that we can to make sure that they are staying in business. And if that means you and I are having a beer after work at four o'clock on a Friday because you know your boss lets you leave the office an hour early, happy days. Yeah, uh, come to work, uh, do your work. There's a lot more productivity that can be gained from the workplace, you know, than you ever get from home. Mm. Uh, knock off. Knock off an hour early, go to the pub, have a beer. You know what? Have have a beer for you, have a beer for your boss and have one for the economy too. Don't drive home. Yeah, that's right. Catch a bus or an Uber, Uber. and yeah. make sure you wear your face mask. Yeah. But come back to the office. Yeah. Is there an opportunity to um, to talk to the business businesses about people taking time off on Fridays and Mondays? Especially Fridays. Mondays, everyone wants to take the – the Mondays off and work yeah. from home yeah. um, to get that extra day in. But the Fridays, you know, if uh, right now we've got a, a – well, we had a team uh, catch-up um, booked in on this Friday, mm. pre-lockdown. It was, it was uh, booked in weeks and weeks ago and uh, come in and, and support the locals and that's really what we're after. Mm. Right now, we're considering moving it virtual purely for the simple fact that we can't, in this environment, we can't have all of our staff in one place at the one time, sure. let alone would we be able to fit into yeah. one place at the one time. Yeah. Um, so the, these are the concerns. But we're really sort of uh, pushing from our team, our staff, that um, you know, come in and, and support locals mm. and, and let's go out and have a drink on a Friday afternoon and, mm. and support the, the, the local restaurants and pubs and stuff like that. Is yeah. there something that we can promote to businesses and business owners and all that sort of stuff as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is really hard at the moment because you do have to follow health guidelines. Yeah. Um, SA Health is right. You know, we are taking uh, a really cautious approach to this virus and so we should. Um, but obviously that does have a disproportionate impact on in the economy. Um, so naturally, businesses should be operating the way that you are at the moment uh, until uh, those those recommendations change and the restrictions lift. Um, but when those restrictions do lift, um, like they will over coming weeks, yeah. um, come back to the office, come back to the CBD. It's not unsafe. The CBD is not an unsafe place. Um, and if you stay working from home in the suburbs forever, um, by the time you come back to the city, it's going to look pretty disastrous. Mm. Uh, and given... CBDs around the world uh, are the engine rooms of economies everywhere. 
Um, we, we just have to be really conscious of that. If there's no CBD, there's no GSP. It's as simple as that. Mm. Why is that? Well, because you've got you've got employees. You, yeah. You've you've got construction and development happening in CBD. Um, as I said before, I can point to half a dozen incredible major developments happening right now in the CBD, commercial developments, office towers. Um, if these office towers are built and that $470 million that Charter Hall is investing at 60 King William Street uh, is all for nothing, then economies start to collapse. Mm. Um, you know, you look at a place like the Central Markets Development, you've got an interstate developer, ICD property looking to breathe life back into that precinct. We can't have people in the suburbs and not shopping at places like the central yeah. markets. There's an incredible level of investment uh, that goes into the CBD. Adelaide Oval, for example, you know, that's a 55,000-seat uh, stadium. Um, we can't have nobody watching footy games yeah. forever. Um, it, it is interesting. Though. I mean, even over the past 12 months, whilst occupancy has been uh, low, um, football crowds have still been high yeah. uh, when they've been allowed to be high um so people are coming back to the cbd yeah. um they're picking and choosing choosing the reasons to come back to the city uh but i gotta say i mean my team here at the property council we can work effectively remotely but we we work a lot better sitting in this boardroom with these whiteboards behind you at oh, the moment, chucking ideas yeah, up there no doubt. The, the the big part of our business is we work with companies through their culture transformation that whole space um culture and leadership being two of the biggest Issues at the moment in in working from home is leaders aren't really un, un, quite uncertain how to lead a team who are not in front of them. Mm. <laughs> it's a big it's a big problem. But then also it's the human connection piece, mm. right? Being in in a room, having conversation. It's those those conversations at the water cooler where you might pick something up. It's a hey when you scream over the other side of the room. Hey, did you hear about this? And then someone on the other side of the room is going, No, 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 you should do this, this, and this. I've tried that before. Mm. Those ideas all of a sudden are no longer existent. So. We we do believe the hybrid model is here to stay. Mm. Most businesses are, uh, and I think the the staff are, are very willing to have a one or two days where they can stay at home on a Friday or, or sure. and do the washing and prepare for the weekend. I think that's really what what it's all about. But we're seeing the trends that um, you know from a mental health perspective that mm. not being in the room with, with your peers, not being around and discussing, having those robust discussions and just getting that human interaction constantly mm. um, is having an effect on people. I remember Stephen Marshall early last year changing his rhetoric pretty early on from from a two-pillar focused response to COVID to a three-pillar focus. So, of course, the the first two were SA Health, health generally yeah. and the economy, two pillars. The third pillar became mental health mm. um, and that is a really important consideration. Because you don't know what your colleagues or your staff are going through if you're not there with them. Um, so this has been tricky. It's been hard. Um, things will bounce back. The economy will repair. But it won't happen unless people start to change their behaviours. Just, just to give you one example, last year, well, in fact, every year the Property Council holds a big Christmas party, a big mm. Christmas lunch mm. With the industry, I don't remember the invite, but that's right. <laughs> I'm joking. There's a, you know, we would typically have about a thousand people coming to our lunch, Daniel, and you've not been one of them. I mean, that's quite extraordinary. That'll change. Yeah, but, thanks. Um, I'm on the email list. <laughs> so last year it was really hard. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the convention centre last year, um, the Adelaide Oval, like they were seeing cancellations coming at them left, yeah. right, and centre. The density restrictions um, were really tricky. The outdoor versus indoor thing was really tricky. Uh, 
but given that my team at the Property Council, we were in the office last year, we were throwing ideas on the whiteboard every day. We decided to come up with something really bizarre, really different to, to try to work with the changing nature of restrictions last year. And and it wouldn't have happened unless we were together in the office. But we decided to hold our Christmas lunch in a disused hangar hmm. at the Adelaide Airport. Now, it was disused because Qantas decided to remove a plane because, of course, they were they were flying fewer mm-hmm. planes mm-hmm. last year. That that hangar originally came from Alice Springs in I think it was the mid-1950s and Qantas had been a continuous tenant in that disused military uh, hangar ever since. It became vacant. Uh, we we were throwing all sorts of ideas on the table about where we could go outdoors to hold our Christmas lunch. Uh, we spoke to the airport and they jumped on board straight away. Um, now, that sort of collaboration, productivity, creativity couldn't have happened unless we were together, no, unless we were you know, deliberately thinking about how to do things differently. We had an incredible day mm. in a disused hangar with the door up, perfect conditions, with a Qantas jet sitting in the background there. We had an amazing day. Um, there were so many moving parts that day, um, probably a hundred of them. Mm. If one of them had gone wrong, it would have been a complete disaster. Mm. Um, but I think there's a really good story in that for businesses generally. That's my business's story about um, you know, being forced to think differently and to innovate and to, to uh, collaborate. Um, but you can't do that at home. Mm. You can't do that unless everybody's sitting around that boardroom table yeah. being forced to think outside the square, to do things differently, to pick up the phone and call someone to ask if you can collaborate with them. We think you get a lot more productivity and better outcomes sitting in the office as opposed to sitting at home. Yeah, you're right. Oh, yes. You can be productive on Zoom and on on the Teams calls, and but it becomes very transactional. You're right. The level of innovation is reduced considerably. I don't have any statistics around that, but it is reduced considerably <laughs> from what we're seeing in the in the in the in the market. Let's go back to Daniel Gannon's rise to fame and the the land tax. Uh, you're talking about the 308. You mm. uh, you came up against a couple of your old mentors in Rob Lucas and Stephen Marshall. Mm. That would have been a pretty difficult time. That was fun, years. wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Lantax actually feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, two thousand nineteen. Yeah, so it was the it was the final, it was the FY twenty state budget. So it was June twenty nineteen. Um, yeah, look, that one that one uh, caught us a little bit by surprise. Um, that particular campaign and battle's been um, well documented, but that one was hard. That one was hard because I did spend five or six years working with Rob Lucas um, a long time ago now uh, and also a couple of years with Stephen Marshall. Um, but that said, I mean, in the end, despite having uh, very early and public differences of opinion, uh, we did finish on the same page. Mm. So we did come, uh, you know, like there was a deal that was done, there was a great outcome that was achieved. Can think, you give us a little bit of a, a rundown on, on what, yeah, the, sure. what the feud was? Yeah. <laughs> so basically um, in the 2019 state budget, um, the state government put forward um, retrospective um, changes to uh, land tax aggregation. Um, so that is the way that land tax is is billed, you know, the way that properties are aggregated to then uh, produce uh, a landlord's uh, land tax bill. Uh, and... The worst part about the proposition, Daniel, was that it was retrospective. Uh, and the problem with um, retrospectivity with legislation uh, is it means that you are shifting the goalposts on investors 
after they've already made their investment. Mm. And fundamentally, uh, we just don't think that that's a fair or or good thing to do. Um, it's actually a really risky thing to do. Yeah. Um, so we did have a big difference of opinion. Um, we, from memory, the state government, I think, budgeted for an additional forty million dollars in. Uh, in, in land tax revenue and we called that out really early and said, you know what, it's going to be three times that amount at least. We think it's going to be about $120 million. We think that there are some uh, incredible risks here, not just for institutional bigger landlords but also for mum and dad investors. Yep. Um, so we we uh, we got in contact with a lot of property owners across the state through the course of our campaign. What we were asking for was really simple. We were asking for a fair go for land tax. We were asking for better consultation. We're asking for a better deal. Uh, I think that campaign went on for about five months. Mm. Um, uh, We were going head-to-head almost on a daily basis uh, for that five-month period. That's not true, for about four months because, of course, we did eventually come together and uh, produce a really good effective outcome for the majority of property owners in South Australia. But that was taxing at a personal level given the the nature of the relationships that I had that I have with Rob and Stephen. Um, uh, and, of, and of course, that's also been well documented. So that was hard. That was a really tricky year. Um, but at the end of the day, um, we were able to sit down with Rob Lucas, uh, hatch a far better set of arrangements. And in the end, uh, the top rate of land tax has reduced from 3.7%, which has long been historically anti competitive, not just uncompetitive, 3.7%. Uh, top land tax rate uh, above about a million dollars has long been anti-competitive. That's dropped by almost 40% now to 2.4%. So we are now nationally competitive and we've doubled the top threshold. The top yeah. threshold is now in excess of $2 million. So what we've ended up with is a, um, a far better outcome for investors, a far better outcome for uh, a lot of mum and dad investors and a lot of big institutional investors here in South Australia. So we think in addition to the fact that we don't have um, stamp duty on commercial property transactions anymore, which we achieved back in 2015, 2016. Um, as a package, no commercial stamp duty and a far more competitive land tax environment, that's a great pitch to investors. Mm. So the land tax battle of 2019, um, it does feel like uh, that was a long time ago now, um, but we managed to get back on the same, um, uh, you know, get around the table, um, get a far better deal put on the table and then convince uh, people like John Darley in the Legislative Council uh, that the, the, the latest deal was actually a good deal for the state. And and I can still say to you now that that was a good deal and that these are great arrangements now from an investment pers- uh, perspective uh, and they'll be long-lasting. Brilliant. So that, is that the, uh, the time in your career that you feel propelled you to a different level? It, well, because you were fighting... Fighting for a cause. Well, it was a great risk and a great opportunity yeah. at the same time. Um, I've been in the property council for seven years now and, and I think one thing that's really important um, is whenever I do leave this job and go to the next one that I'll be able to look back knowing that, that we've, as an industry, worked really well together uh, and that we've produced some outcomes like no commercial stamp duty, like significant reductions to land tax. Um, you know, we've defeated things like... Uh, taxes on CBD car parks, um, uh, the state bank tax, of course, from a few years ago. Um, I'd like to think that as an industry we'll be able to look back knowing that we've left an incredible legacy that should now be long-lasting. Land tax was a risk. It was also an opportunity. Um, 
But to be honest, I, mean, I think for, for anyone's career, what you need are relationships in different places at different times to ensure that you can do a good deal, that you can get a deal done, that you can collaborate with different people from different sides of the political spectrum uh, to ensure that your industry, and of course mine is property, uh, is better off. Um, now, it doesn't happen all the time. We've worked really hard to make sure that property is always at the forefront of political decision-making. Um, that's why we're quite public about the things that we do, mm. whether they're positive or negative or neutral. Um, we think that we think that part of our role is to you know, provide a voice of economic commentary from time to time to ensure that you know, both punters and politicians know exactly what the plight of property is. Uh, and we think that we've done some you know, pretty incredible things over the past 10 to 20 years as an organisation, but particularly the last um, five to eight. Mm. I touch on your ability to create and maintain relationships. It's a skill set that um, is much needed in business in all walks of life. What is your approach to to creating new relationships, or is it is it is are you at a point where status helps provide you an in, or you know, and talk to us about how you grew to that point where you know getting your name out there was uh, was required for you to actually start having an influence on on the market. When I started the property council back in twenty fourteen, um, I I didn't know how to run a business. Yeah. Um, that was really new to me. Uh, I'd always led teams of people, but I'd never actually been running a balance sheet. Yeah. You know. So what role did you start in when you came? Executive director. Yeah, yeah. So you came straight into – so you started this whole – No, I didn't start the company. company but, but, but I came uh, I came in as executive director exactly. back in 2014. Yeah. Um, from a commercial perspective, we, we run about 20 to 30 events in an ordinary year. Yeah. Um, you know, lunches, breakfast seminars, um, study yep. tours. So there's a big commercial part of what we do. Um, but we do that to build a platform to talk about our advocacy, to talk about our policy ambitions, to to give politicians and business owners a stage to put forward and defend things. Um, we use that stage from time to time uh, to put a flag in the ground uh, from a defensive perspective. Mm -hmm. But we also do it to help celebrate great successes. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you've got to have a value proposition. Um, I know that when I knock on the doors of um, politicians, Labor, Liberal alike, um, what I want them to see isn't me because the reality is it's not about me. And like the property council will be here after I go and it was certainly here before I came. But my challenge has always been that when they see me, they don't just see me, they look over my shoulder and they see an army of um, investors that this state has, an army of proud investors and proud business owners uh, that do incredible things for this state, that take incredible amounts of risk. Um, uh, and that's what the Property Council, I think, is really good at, uh, mobilising bodies of people, mobilising um, uh, investors and landlords like we did with land tax. Um, the land tax campaign was a really great example because we all came together um, knowing that we were wanting to, to achieve the same thing and that was to to you know, get rid of this really bad idea that was put forward. Um, that could have been helped if, 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 there, if there was consultation, I think. I think we could have come to the same outcome yeah. uh, if we'd spoken about it um, two months before. So but, poor stakeholder management. Well, um, it, it's just not the way that I would have done mm. it. Um, but uh, my – look, I mean I've spent the last five to seven years, but even before that to be honest, 
building relationships, maintaining relationships, curating those relationships uh, and trying to ensure that I've never burned them because the Adelaide market, as you know, isn't a market where you can afford to burn them. Mm. Um, and, <laughs> and if you've burnt them, then, then at some point you've got to work on rebuilding them. Um, so Adelaide is a relationship-based business community and what I spend most of my time doing on a daily basis is sitting down with people having coffees, meeting new people or sitting down with coffees and curating existing relationships that I've got, spending time with people. I mean, I love the fact that my members take me along on their journey when they're developing a project or building an incredible building um, or even, you know, one of my members is, builds shallow sea ports up on the New York Peninsula. I mean, like that's incredible stuff. Like productive infrastructure like that is really exciting and different. So I love the fact that they take me with them on their journey uh, and they expose me to really different things. Um, so when I do walk into someone's office to ask for things or to suggest to people to not do certain things, um, they're not seeing me because I'll be replaced when I leave. Mm. There'll be another executive director of the property council, but they see that army of people over my shoulder who will always be here. They'll always be invested in this state because the beauty about property is it's rooted here. Mm. Um, you know, These guys are long-term patient investors wanting to do the right thing by their state, wanting to do the right thing by their portfolio. What is the benefit of these investors to join Property Council? Like why not just buy something and just not be, just be on your own? Like why, why would they become a member? I think that would be a really short-sighted um, view for people to take. So we know what our value proposition is. We've got a, a great track record of um, really positive advocacy outcomes that benefits the property industry, that benefits the investment environment here in this state. Uh, if this organisation didn't exist, we'd still be stuck with a, a land tax rate that's that's almost 4% rather than one that's closer to 2 mm. uh, If it wasn't for this organisation, you know, we'd probably still have commercial stamp duty in place. Mm. Uh, you've now got investors flocking to this city, uh, buying up property, because they can save five and a half percent right up front. Yeah. That's a that's a huge amount of money when you're buying a two hundred million dollar building. Yeah. Um, yeah. If it wasn't for the property council and and other allied industry associations like Business SA or you know the master builders, um, uh, you know our constituents would be worse off. So I think it'd be a really short sighted view to have because we know what our value proposition is. We know that we're the best in the market at doing it. Um, and, and when we do sit down with prospective new members, we say to them, you know, you've got to be part of the community because it's going to benefit you. It's going to benefit your business. Uh, the events that we hold, you might develop a new relationship over lunch with someone that you wouldn't have had had you not come. Um, so not only can we connect people to people, we connect business to business, but we provide stages and platforms for people to talk about uh, what they do as a business. Um, we've got a big community here in Adelaide. We've got about 2,500 members across the country. Uh, they are they are um, uh, memberships that are business wide, uh, rather than individual memberships. Mm. Um, in Adelaide, we've got about three hundred members, uh, but a community of about fifteen thousand people. Yeah. Uh, now that's a pretty powerful community, uh, if and when it does come time to yeah. mobilise and campaign against something again, because yeah. I'm sure it'll happen. Um, governments of every persuasion always put forward ideas that we think are short sighted or poor, uh, yeah. and we'll always call them out for it. Are you in, in in regards to the land tax uh, of two thousand and nineteen? It was a reactive um, campaign. You saw this policy come through, and you and you you know went up against it, and and ultimately came to a really great conclusion for the the investors and the 
the property holders of South Australia. M- moving forward, do you or does the property council look at ways to be innovative? You know, you've got the the, the FOMO Fridays, which is a unique in its own right. Yeah. Then you've got this land tax campaign. It's quite which, a serious one. Well, yeah, yeah, which is completely you can think about it worlds apart. Light right? and so, Yeah. So if we're if we're looking at campaigns, are you forward thinking? Are you working mm. proactively with the government? Or uh, is it very much a reactionary space? How, how does it all come into play? Well, a lot of the things that we do um, never actually see the light of day. Okay. So we're having conversations with politicians, uh, you know, and we've long done this, but we're having conversations from a defensive place mm-hmm. to ensure um, that bad decisions aren't made. Um, we're trying to cut them off at the pass. Um, uh, and occasionally what happens with policymaking is someone will put up an idea in a different jurisdiction Let's take the foreign investor tax, for example. That was put up in one of the eastern seaboard jurisdictions a couple of years ago uh, and then it caught on. It was you know, it spread like wildfire around the country and then eventually every jurisdiction decided to put forward foreign investor taxes, which we said at the time was, it was just a – it was a race to the populist bottom. It was quite a xenophobic um, tax that was put forward. Um, and in South Australia that came in after the state bank tax was defeated. Um, because the state government wanted to try to generate some more revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, we think we think if the answer is higher taxes, new taxes, augmented taxes, then we're asking the wrong question because the answer should never be let's just jack taxes up. Mm. Um, the answer should be let's talk about growth and productivity first. And that's why our three core pillars of tax, growth and red tape will always be there, particularly for a market of landlords that are private investors. Um, but, you know, like, um, for example, we worked really hard last year on the commercial code of conduct mm-hmm. uh, and we've worked really hard in recent times to ensure that that doesn't come back because landlords are still working with their tenants to make sure that they are still sustainable and that they'll still be standing on their feet post-pandemic. We just don't think, we just don't think that mandated regulation is ever the right way forward. We think that less red tape is the answer, not more red tape because it can get in the way of investment and productivity and uh, growth in South Australia. Brilliant. In, in regards to those three pillars, growth being one that I'm in love with and, and, and I really want to see South Australia move forward mm. as a state and not become the, the old backwater state that we've been often referred to. Unfairly. Absolutely unfairly and that was a few years ago now. Um, what are we What are we? What are we doing from a growth perspective that is going to attract the people to continually flock here? And mm. and you know, if if is it the case of build it and they will come, or is it do we get people and then build it? Well, how you know, chicken and yeah. egg sort of stuff. Well, look, I mean, outside outside, um, you know, uh, a general population uh, mantra of one for mum, one for dad, and one for the property council. Uh, <laughs> Um, it, it, it's probably a little tricky than that. <laughs> that said, I mean, there's every chance that we'll see a bit of a baby boom yeah. uh, post-pandemic. Yeah. I think we are probably seeing a little bit of that. Um, population growth for most people is probably one of those things that just turns you off. Mm. There's probably like, there's probably people who might have even turned the volume down on this conversation right now mm. because we're talking about something pretty dry. But in reality, population growth is one of the most important indicators for this state. Agreed. Um, Pre-pandemic, Victoria uh, as a state was growing by more people every 27 days 
then South Australia would grow across an entire year. Just think about that. Every 27 days, they were getting the same growth Mm. that we see in 12 months. Mm. That's why that bloody Westgate bridge is always getting <laughs> upgraded every. <laughs> but that is that is an extraordinary. That is a two-speed big, population big difference. Great, yeah. like, and, and that's not sustainable. Um, uh, naturally, the the economies in Sydney, Melbourne are far greater and stronger than ours. Um, so population growth is a really important place for us to start. Now, the state government over the past few months has rightly been trumpeting the fact that. Uh, the net interstate migration statistic is now in positive terms. Mm. We are now retaining more people as a state than we're losing, mm-hmm. uh, which ha- hasn't happened probably for 30 years in South Australia. Now, naturally, borders are, are part of that. You know, yeah. Like, like there, there has been a global tendency for people yeah. to come home. Yeah. Um, but I do think that South Australia can be an incredible beneficiary of COVID, of this pandemic, as long as we can get that value proposition right, we are the, we are Australia's most livable city. Um, uh, you know, we have been touted as having the best COVID management, top of the class, by Roy Morgan. We are a far more competitive place to invest. Victoria is making us look better at the moment, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, but population growth is so super important. Now, I've got three kids. Um, I, I've I've done my bit. I've given one to mum, dad, and the property council. Um, we would <laughs> encourage more people to do that. But but on a serious note. Um, uh, and the state government does agree with this as well. They share this opinion. Um, we do have to trumpet ourselves um, far greater than we ever have. We do have to make the most of this pandemic. Um, we can't waste the opportunity that we've got now in a, in a world that, you know, where health proximity and the densification of CBDs uh, are, I think, wrongly seen by some people as a risk. Um, and, and as a direct result, we've got to start thinking about those job opportunities on the other side. Lot 14? That is a great um, bow, uh, you know, that's a great um, uh, tool to have in the toolkit, yeah, I think. Without doubt. It's a really good tool. It's, it's a good launching pad. But it can't be the only tool. No. We need to have more tools in that toolkit to ensure that we are offering more opportunities to more kids and more of those clever entrepreneurs and startups. Yeah. It's getting people over here. I think if you – and this pandemic has been a problem and I'm going to rattle off some statistics – uh, that were provided to me, they might be around the mark. I'm not going to say they're 100% accurate, but from my understanding that um, there was 230-odd uh, thousand in, in, two, in 2019, 230-odd thousand that came into Australia new, from overseas looking for work. In, last, in 2020, it was 30,000. Mm. And in 2021, we're net negative. Mm. So we're not getting the, the, the quality of people. The migrants. That, yeah, mm. that we would otherwise get. Mm. Um, and again, I don't know how true those statistics are they were provided to me do it sounds roughly close to where it might be though are we is that something that the property council and yourself are concerned about and having close ties to the to the um the the government is there something that we need to really ramp up quickly well i I think the reality there is that we can't do anything about borders at the moment um migrants are really important we can well, at some we, point in time, if, we, can. if we choose economics before health, right? And at, at what point does that call get made? Well, I don't think that call is going to be made at the moment mm. uh, because decisions are being made based on health advice. Mm. But borders will reopen. Um, the vaccination rate will pick up around the country. Uh, I read in the paper earlier this week, you know, that that, that we should be looking at a vaccination rate of eighty uh, percent. Under forties can't get Pfizer yet. There's been some concerns around AstraZeneca. The vaccination rate will pick up. And when, when that rate does pick up, borders will reopen. 
and I think once that does happen and once once we can w- um, re-welcome migrants to South Australia, that they will flock here mm. because we haven't uh, achieved some of those incredible accolades that I've mentioned earlier uh, over the past 12 months uh, and that will attract more people to this state. Uh, our challenge ahead of us is to make them sticky, mm. to keep them here, mm. uh, to make sure that they do have meaningful job opportunities, to make sure they do have um, you know, great cost of living and an incredibly envious lifestyle here, um, like you and I do enjoy living in the suburbs of Adelaide. Um, uh, but the challenge for us is simple. I mean, I think that it does start with population growth. At some point when borders reopen, more people will come here. In, uh, migrants are important uh, in terms of that population equation, but so is the brain drain. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. is the brain drain. And, you know, they are incredibly productive, those young ones, because... What I hate seeing is, you know, seeing a young Adelaide person leave Adelaide, they go to a place like Melbourne or Sydney and they get married to a Victorian or someone from New South Wales, they have kids over there and and you either don't see them come back or they don't come back for 20 years. Mm. So they're paying taxes in a different jurisdiction. Uh, you know, they're purchasing property and uh, perishables in a different jurisdiction. We're not seeing any economic benefit from that. So that is a, that is a, that is a huge drain. Uh, so if we can make them sticky now because mm. of COVID, uh, that's the opportunity that I think we should all embrace. Uh, I don't think that people should be afraid of growth. You know, there's often been that in binary conversation about growth and you know congestion on our roads. Yeah. Um, we don't have congested roads. Yeah. Uh, we don't have a huge CBD. Um, uh, I'd like to see our CBD um, more dense and taller and more productive. I'd love to see... In a post-pandemic environment, more people trading in their backyards or balconies. Um, you know, like I'd love to see the CBD bustling with life and activity and you know economic output. That will return. That'll yeah. come. Um, but in the interim, while borders are closed, let's make the most of it. Mm. Let's remind people um, all over the world how great a place Adelaide is, South Australia is, because of course we've got some great regions. Um, let's make the most of that opportunity now. Let's tell that story. Now, let's pick up your pom-poms and start cheerleading <laughs> for teams yeah. out of Australia yeah. because there's a lot going on here. Mm. I don't think you're ever going to stop the people moving away, right? I think it's just about the, how do we keep more here but also how do we attract the Melbourneites mm. and the and the Sydney-siders to come to Adelaide yep. right? as opposed to staying there. That, I think that's got to be more of our question. How do we you know, almost fair trade against each other and yeah. we, we swap over. and Because the idea of staying in one place for your whole life can, can you know, cause anxiety in some sure. people, right? Yeah. I mean, you've, you've moved away, you've moved around the place. Yep. And lived in, most people, uh, well, not most people, some people may not want that from themselves, mm. therefore that's why they move. I think it's just about how do we make Adelaide a much more attractive place. So I, so I think this is a really important um, conversation. This is a really important question. Economically, particularly, but at a time, and 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 it's important to situate this con- uh, this conversation in the context of the work from home thing. Yeah. So, I think the opportunity is a really unique one because we're at this crossroad historically, where uh, employers are allowing their staff around the world to work from wherever they like. Yeah. You don't have to work from the office. Okay, work from home. So, if you're sitting in London, New York. If you're sitting in Singapore or even places like Sydney at the moment and they're going through some incredible duress over there, if you're sitting there working from home in a place like Sydney or a really expensive capital city 
in terms of housing affordability and your boss is allowing you to work from wherever you like, I think that means that you can choose to live wherever you like. Mm. So if you can work from wherever you want, that means you can choose to live wherever you want. So if you can choose to live wherever you like, I think Adelaide makes complete sense mm. because we do have a median house price that starts with a five. Mm. And we are effectively a 20 to 30-minute city. So I think that the proposition is a really clear one. Um, uh, and then by the time you are working remotely and living in Adelaide, I think you'll find pretty quickly that you just want to go back to the office in the CBD yeah. because you can, because we are comparatively safe, we're comparatively healthy and resilient. So I think that the proposition and pitch is a really simple one. Um, but we should be shouting that from the rooftops. We should be, as a state, advertising in every major newspaper across the world right now, yeah. talking up the virtues of this great CBD. Third most livable. In the world. In the world. Most livable in this country. That's right. Far more livable than Melbourne. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mate, I'm an SA boy through and through. You've got no arguments from me. Righto, we're coming to the uh, to the end of the of the podcast. What is the the future for Daniel Gannon? You've been touted. There's just a few articles floating around, trade minister and all this sort of stuff. And what is your what does your future look like? Where do, where do you place yourself, and what's your life look like in the next five ten years? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm still in my thirties. Um, uh, I'm, I'm forty next year, but I'm I'm hanging on to my thirties yeah. as long as I can. <laughs> yeah. um, Look, I've had a really good time at the Property Council. It's, like, it's exposed me to some incredible people and businesses doing uh, great things, some crystal ball gazers to risk takers to job creators. There's, there's this incredible community out there in the property sector in this state. Um, I've really enjoyed advocacy. Uh, I've really enjoyed standing up for people and uh, achieving outcomes that benefit their business in this city. Um, uh, look, the short answer is to cut the chase. I don't know. Mm. Um, it's a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've spent seven years at the Property Council uh, and, and by the way, I mean, I'm, I'm in no rush to leave yeah, this no great organisation. Um, no doubt. Uh, I, think, I think though all people would be silly to think that they could hold you in one. Like you're a pretty ambitious person, right, and you want to do great things. You're an advocate for South Australia. If there's an opportunity for you to do more, you'd be silly not to look at it. Yeah, that's yeah. Look, that's exactly right. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm 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 a I'm an advocate for property owners. I'm an advocate for uh, business owners and developers and investors. Um, and 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 I'll keep doing that for the time being. Well done. You played that very well, straight, Pat. You did play a bit of cricket in your day. I'm a tennis player. <laughs> oh, you tennis player. Yeah. I make a really bad cricketer. <laughs> Unlike you, you were a very good cricketer. Yeah, we won't we won't dive into that. <laughs> To finish off the um, finish off the the podcast, we always uh, ask a few quick fire questions. Just I like to throw in a few curlies here and there. A couple of bounces, yeah, a couple of aimed at the teeth. Um, <laughs> they, we're a very big uh, on reading and self development at Synergy IQ, which is which is my business creating synergy podcast. Our listeners are big learners, as you can imagine. The topics that we talk about are always about how do we improve and, and get better. Um, and we're we're big readers. So, what what's one book that you are reading right now? I'm reading uh, the Happiest Man on Earth by Eddie Jacko. Oh, yes, I've yeah. heard that. I've I've heard that's great read. An amazing story. Um, it's a story of a Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a story of resilience and adaptability. My honours at, at at uni was in in politics and history, uh, and I took a really strong focus on World Wars One and Two. And actually wrote my thesis on 
uh, how to how to perpetuate the memory of the Holocaust in a in a post Holocaust world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think I think from memory the title was something like um, Shadows of Holocaust Past: The Dilemma of the Fictional Filmmaker. So yeah. uh, how can how can we situate an horrific historical um, circumstance? How we situate something that was so horrific, perpetrated by um, Adolf Hitler and Germany um, in a way that perpetuates the memory because the memory is a really important one. Mm. It's really important that we don't forget about those atrocities. So I've most of my books are history yeah. <laughs> focused, um, but Eddie Jaku's written this amazing story. Yeah. I'm only halfway through. That's fine. But I'll I would recommend pick, you to pick that I'm one. I'm going to get onto it. Have you heard the Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning? You would yeah. have read that yeah. as part of your – Yeah, incredible. It's one of the all-time greats. Yeah. And I think if you couple those two up, mm. the psychology of, 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 the, um, of the mind mm. and how um, we can get through anything is quite um, oh, prevalent in, in today's society. Well, it is. And like it's just unthinkable when you look back at some of mm. those uh, atrocities that took place. Um, yes. Horrible. Is there uh, any book other than those historical books, any book that you could recommend to those who are looking to improve in their career and grow, any personal development books that might you might have read or or anything that, that really had an effect on you in your, early on in your career? I spend a disproportionately large amount of my time um, reading two types of uh, literature. One, Newspapers, yeah, yeah. Uh, and two um, uh, historic books about World Wars One and Two. Yeah, okay. Uh, the Boy in the Striped Pajamas, yeah, yeah, an amazing book. Um, uh, but look, and that's probably to my own professional failing, to be honest. Um, <laughs> no, but I think if you're if you read those books with the idea of the mentality of the people that are in them, right? That's where the learning comes from. It doesn't necessarily be, need to be nonfiction. Those fictional books are great. So they are stories of resilience. Yeah, that's right. Um, they are stories of um, surviving and uh, adapting to um, changing circumstances. Um, so I guess the the bridge between those types of books and those types of learnings to what I do uh, is about adapting and about changing and about being resilient. Uh, in the face of, you know, in my context at the property council, bad policy ideas yeah. that are put forward, how do yeah. you get through that? And, of course, that's in no way um, uh, diminishing Correct. the import yeah. of those books. Yeah. But, look, on a daily basis, I read The Australian, uh, The Financial Review, uh, The Advertiser and in daily. Uh, that's a lot of news every day. And, and one thing that I've not been able to shake from working in politics is reading tomorrow's news at about 11 o'clock every night. Yeah. Um, at some point I've got to shake that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I am a little news obsessed mm. uh, in addition to reading stories about World Wars One and Two. There's an argument in the, in the world, this is not a question, there's an argument in the world that reading and watching too much news will have a serious negative impact on your life mm. just purely because of the negativity that comes out of those, mm. those newspapers. Um, have you found that to be an issue by consuming well, so much news? Well, I think at the front of newspapers, there's a there's a fair bit of bad news, but there's also a lot, like a lot of colourful news, yeah. a lot of um, human interest stories. Uh, but the deeper you go, particularly in the business pages, there are a lot of positive stories about yeah. business. Yeah, there are. Um, I mean, the Advertiser's Business Journal, almost on a weekly basis, has incredible stories of innovation and growth. Yeah. Uh, in daily, has a really unique range of stories from hard politics to 
you know, sport and arts and culture. Um, there's a lot of newspapers if if you're willing to spend the time to look for them. Uh, I th- I think it would be easy to say that newspapers only carry negative stories. Um, a lot of the bigger stories are negative stories because they're about that's what sells. Yes, yeah, sometimes it does. Uh, I mean, the Adelaide Crows, I think, sell most newspapers in this town. Uh, and and, and that, unfortunately, well, that pleases me when they're playing well. Uh, we are going through a bit of a tricky time at the moment yeah, as a club, but we'll bounce back. I hope not. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not a. I'm not a. I actually, it's funny. I don't. I'm a good South Australian boy and don't support a South Australian team. That, I, now that's very diplomatic. That is very strange. Um, I just grew up following Geelong. The great, great man Gary Ablett had the number five on my back, and yeah. when the Port and Crows came into the competition, I. You stuck with Geelong. I stuck with Geelong. So. Tony Modra didn't bring you across. No, he, he played in a very similar I, way to Gary. I must have did. I went out in the backyard and screamed out the odd Modra when I took a good mark. Yeah. But uh, Ablett was probably thrown around a little bit more. Yeah, sure. But well, I won't hold that against you. No. We've had a good run, so I can't complain too Great much. Run. Yeah. I hope that comes to a, to a crashing halt. That's what everyone hopes, but yeah. uh, <laughs> it, it won't. So. <laughs> too good a club, mate. Um, any other podcasts that you listen to? I listen to the Corona Cast every morning. Oh yes, uh, just to get a quick fire daily update. Yeah, nice. Uh, Beautiful. A bit of a national context there. Yeah, yeah, great. If you could have three people for dinner, who would they be? That is hard. Anyone, anyone in the world, anyone in the world for dinner. And and let's open that up to dead or alive. Dead or alive. Um. Okay. Dead or alive, three people for dinner. Well, my wife has to take one of those seats, so that leaves two. Oh, you just won a lot of points there. <laughs> that leaves <laughs> two more. Um, look, I'm going to say, I mean, I'll, okay, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you my political um, uh, dinner party list. I would love to sit down and have dinner with uh, John Howard and Bob Hawke. Okay, um, great. Uh, and 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 if I was able to bring one more in, in addition to Monique, my wife, uh, it's probably Paul Keating. I mean, these are these are ghosts of politics past. Now, in terms of the way that that, that politics and Parliament as an institution uh, used to be played, there were some incredible uh, characters in Parliament and, and politics historically, and that's changed a lot now. Um, uh, politicians, uh, a lot of them have less conviction than people like John Howard, Bob Hawke and Paul Keating. Um, back in their time politically, they were able to carry off great and lasting economic reforms, uh, whether it's superannuation or negative gearing or uh, a lot of the reforms that John Howard put through in his 10 years. Um, uh, politics has changed a lot. Policy making has changed a lot. Uh, I, mean, I guess that dinner would be a bit of a, Politically tragic dinner, though, wouldn't it? Um, with that guest list, an interesting conversation. It, yeah, it would be. Um, but outside of that, uh, outside of that, I think it's hard for me on the spot. To That's right. We can stick with those. <laughs> we don't have to do. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll take. They're supposed to be quick fire questions. Yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah. Very good point. Well made. <laughs> um, what's some of the best advice that you've ever received? Yeah, I mean, when I worked for Stephen Marshall. He would almost on a daily basis um, tell his team uh, to not major in the minors. Yeah, I like that. And he would tell us that his father, Tony, uh, told him that as a kid all the time, mm. don't major in the minors. 
I think there's something really important in that, um, you know, and it's focusing on the bigger things. Um, uh, I guess my own personal adaptation of that is to um, get out of the weeds and get up into the clouds, you know, because if, if you let yourself get stuck in the weeds on a daily basis, focusing too much on operational stuff and you're not up there in the clouds taking that strategic aerial approach, I think you're going to miss some opportunities. Yeah. In addition to, of course, just having that, um, having that, you know, incredible focus on relationships mm. in a place like Adelaide. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, if if you think that you don't have the confidence or the ability to go out and, you know, network or engage in business development, you do. Mm. Pick up the phone, mm. send an email, have a coffee with someone, buy someone lunch because mm. you never know where that relationship might take you in two years, five years, ten That's years' time. Right. And if you do that, if you implement that as a rule, you're going to have a pretty big collective uh, network by the time you leave that job and look for the next one. Yeah. People will be knocking on your door. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Don't major into minors. That's a, in the minors is a big thing. If you, especially people in executive um, positions, right? If you're, mm. uh, you've obviously hit the executive position for the simple fact that you can think strategically, you can think outside the square, you are a, a, a leader of people, therefore you shouldn't be delivering on the miners because yeah. you're, you're wasting Get out of the weeds. The talent. Get That's up right. into the clouds. Absolutely. If you had access to a time machine, I'm a big Back to the Future fan <laughs> yeah. so I had to throw this in. <laughs> if you had access to a time machine, you could go anywhere. Yeah. But what, So it's one trip mm. and, you, you know, forward and back, you got to come back. Where would you go? Probably 2017 to the MCG. Uh before the Crows lost to Richmond would be one to try to change the course of history there. But no, pro- <laughs> just look. to get a sni- be a sniper in the stand and pop that, <laughs> take that out pop Jack Revolt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I I would actually love to I would love to have seen how my parents actually raised their kids, how they did it in the caravan. Yeah, in the, yeah, in the Jayco. Um, in addition to. You know, I I lost um, both my grandparents on dad's side over the last five years. Um, so my 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 pop passed away just before COVID, uh, and but so but people like my nan and pop, uh, you know, they came from a really different generation with different times. They went through incredible technological change in their lifetime. Uh, you know, they came from a farm and you know built this great family business. But I would have loved to have sat down at the front bar at one of those regional pubs mm. in Queensland, New South Wales or Victoria to have a beer with my grandfather, to have a yeah. beer with – just to, you know, sit down and get to know him a bit, you know, mm. a bit better at that time. I think that would have been fascinating Yeah, to, you know, to hop into that time machine of yours and go back to some time <laughs> What's in, yours now? But, uh, in, in the 70s or 80s. It's an interesting um, point of view. We've had someone on the podcast before previously say – that they would go back to the time where their grandparents were around 18, 19 and just hang around with them and right? see what they're like. I just thought that was a really great yeah. insight. It'd be such a good insight. Yeah, well, I'm the same. Like yeah. sitting in one of those pubs in, I don't know, Wollongong or Billawheel or somewhere else uh, after Pop had just finished on the construction site and he's covered in bloody dirt and dust. Would they know? Would you want him to know you at that point or would you go no. as a – Yeah. No. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be an interesting conversation. You'd learn a lot, I reckon. I think that's right. Mm. I mean, like you might leave the pub thinking, 
you know. Shit, that's not how I thought yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> what happened there? What a liar. You know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I think that would be great yeah. if we could. Brilliant. Uh, if you could have one superhero power, what would it be? <sighs> well, my five-and-a-half-year-old, um, uh, one of his superpower abilities, Walter is his name, one of Wally's superpower abilities that he'd love to have is to be invisible and to climb buildings. Uh, <laughs> uh, but mine, look, I mean, it might be it might be being able to see what's over the horizon, some sort of, you know, future-focused ability mm. to... <laughs> See what happens in five years' time. Uh, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, whether that's from an investment It'd be like a walking almanac. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a bit like Back to the Future. Yeah, it is. You know, with the Chicago Cubs, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's my answer. I'd go forward, buy the almanac, come back. Like yeah, it makes complete yeah. sense. <laughs> I think that's probably right. Um, but there is something quite romantic about being Spider-Man or um, yeah, yeah. Superman flying through the clouds. Yeah. Getting out of the weeds Getting, yeah. and into the clouds. Yeah, I love it. Perfect. And you are a father of three, mm. so you've got to have a dad joke for us. I've got too many and they're just <laughs> like, they're so bad. I mean, um, my kids get so annoyed with me. They're, they're seven, five and two. Um, they get so annoyed with I'm me. I'm laughing I've only heard it yet. Well, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> someone who actually appreciates that they are bad, it's going to be good. Oh, look, like, there's probably too many. I mean, like my, my, my seven and a half year old daughter, um, Delilah, is just at that point in time now where she spends most of her days like rolling her eyes at me um uh, and like i don't know when she became 15 um maybe the same age maybe she jumped in that time machine and went forward eight years i I don't know look there's way too many um and and i don't want to entirely embarrass myself during uh, the duration of this particular podcast to reveal many of them to you (laughs) you gotta tell me one come on um I, i just don't have any that are springing to mind right now because I, I need to be in that uh, environment in with, that zone. with the kids and acting a bit silly. Yeah, just being stupid. No, no it has to be one. It has to be one. So maybe what we might have to do is just chop this. Um, to, <laughs> no, it's all good. To speed up my response. No, no stress. Uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll let it slide. There, it, it is a hard one to come up with on the spot, though. I should prepare people with this. You got to come to the podcast with mm. that joke. Mm. I'm just one of those people that can rattle off shit jokes at a whim. On a whim. Give me some of yours. No, I don't want to. No, why'd the koala fall out the tree? I don't know. Because it was dead. That's <laughs> just pretty simple. Like, that's a shit joke, right? That's terrible. No, it's, like it's good. <laughs> like, like it's good because it's so bad. It, that's what I mean. Well, that's yeah. what a dad joke is. Yeah, yeah. Why'd the second koala fall out the tree? Got hit by the first one. <laughs> You're right. That's terrible. <laughs> and why'd the third koala fall out the tree? Thought it was a game. <laughs> <laughs> Go home and tell your kids this one. Why the lizard die? Got hit by three koalas. <laughs> anyway, we'll, that we'll, could go on and on. It could, you could just keep playing with it. Yeah, so uh, anyway, I said it for you. Thank you very much for your time today, Daniel. It's uh, been amazing having you. Your insight into uh, what's happening here in South Australia and Australia is. Is really um, is really great. It's great to hear that insight. It's not something that we hear often on an, on an everyday basis. Um, good luck with everything that you are doing as well with the future and thanks, mate. and uh, the impact that you can on uh, can have on South Australians. I feel is going to be great moving forward into the future. So you're uh, very kind, Daniel. But thank you for um, taking time out of your day to come here and sit down with me. Um, uh, this has been really good fun. It's been a really good chat. Excellent. I thanks, appreciate. Ian. Cheers, thanks, guys. Mate. Take care. Thank you.
Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.